We are going remote by Intrepid. Future of work, entrepreneurship, startups, founders, innovation, and technology. you say that because i was like I, I was curious i know you had mentioned that uh, you've been on clubhouse you've been exploring that and then you got a chance to talk to greg luganis yeah and but you never told me what his answer was <laughs> oh but, well, first we should, maybe you should think you should say like you know what the question was yeah <laughs> yeah so uh, just a little bit uh, I'll, I'll back it up even further right so i joined mm. this room and it's, it's essentially neuroscience and behaviors and hmm. Dr. Aditi from Harvard. Uh, basically, it's a bunch of PhD researchers that look at um, neuroplasticity, neuroplasticity hmm. and you know behaviors and impact with elite athlete athletes hmm. and you know corporate athletes, right? You know, star yeah. performers. And so they invited Greg Luganis on. Greg Luganis, for those who don't know, was the the winningest uh, diver, and I think he's probably still is. Uh, yeah, he's more like the gold Michael medals Jordan of diving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it really interesting, really interesting guy was was you know you know he's he's a little bit older than us. I think he's sixty or sixty one. Uh, yeah. He's written a lot of books and, and has been very open about his challenges, uh, both in sport and out of sport. You know, yeah, really interesting, challenging life, right? And so I asked the question, and this is the beauty of Clubhouse. I, we, as a household, we grew up watching the Olympics. You know, mm -hmm. And it was always, because we're a family of swimmers, it was swimming, diving, and my mom and my sister loved uh, ice skating and gymnastics. And then, of course, this is back in the 70s and the 80s. You know, you only had one TV in the house. Yeah. And you had you, you didn't have, have ways channels. to record, right? <laughs> so it was always a fight. Like you'd have to stay up to the middle of the night to watch anything else when 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 mom and sister weren't watching. Anyway, long story short. So I had a chance to ask. I was really curious. Greg was acutely articulating just exceptionally high degrees of self-awareness um, mm. just about his, 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 his personal life, his psyche, his motivations, his inspirations, and, and just everything about his life. He was just really, really aware. And so my question was, I was really curious, did that degree of self-awareness, did that grow from having been an elite athlete and trained into him? Or was it, is it something that was really innate from day one and being an elite athlete or having that self-awareness allowed him to propel as an elite athlete? Mm. And the answer was, was, uh, interesting, right? So always self-aware, you know, he's, a, a, a part of the LGBTQ community and he always knew from, from a very early age that he was different. And mm. and was more inward and introverted than any of his other peers, mm. and so that was just part of of what he called kind of his DNA. And then I asked Doctor Aditi, you know, is this something that is when you do brain scans of elite athletes and elite performers, is there something in the brain that indicates 
that they're, for lack of a better word, wired differently? And the answer was, well, no, yes and no. Yes, elite athletes are wired, I'm using you know the non-medical terminology, are wired differently in the sense neuroplasticity, the brain is a muscle, and they've learned over the course of their careers through repetition to mm. strengthen those bonds, strengthen that muscle, and strengthen the neurons uh, and build up those neurons and those, those, those neuron connectors in the brain that allow them to do things that you and I couldn't do. Uh, or, well, I shouldn't say you, you were an elite athlete as well. So I, I suspect yeah, I couldn't do that. You, know, so. you, you yeah, built up <laughs> different neural paths, neuron pathways, but it was super cool. Like, so a long way of saying, like, you know, you watch this guy on TV, you've seen him just an exceptional athlete, you know, great person. And you get to ask him a question, a really personal question. And he was like, very, very open and, and engaging and warm and friendly and, I just thought it was pretty awesome. How many people were in that room? <sighs> like a thousand. Wow, that's crazy. And there's that's crazy. And there's some of these other rooms that you know they get like five thousand people in. So Amy Cuddy, right? Yeah, you turned me on to Amy Cuddy's a very famous researcher about uh, from Harvard or MIT. Is she from Harvard? I think she, she teaches at Harvard. Okay, she teaches at Harvard, but uh, I think she went to Berkeley. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so Amy Cuddy, Dr. Amy Cuddy is, is a very famous researcher and practitioner of, of body language, uh, what well, really persuasion and, and yeah. how one uses the voice and body language to project uh, and influence. I, I, I'd, I'd interject as well, too. She is a very, very, very well, um, respected researcher in um, uh, uh, performance, gender and diversity as well, too but not a lot of people yes. know that about her. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm oversimplifying. Mm. Um, so she's doing a master class, right? Uh, and I think it's Tuesdays at 6 PM. Oh, okay. And, like they get 5,000 people in the room. So it's a, it's a, 12 she's, she, she's a rock star professor. She's like, oh she's, my God, she's it's insane. Yeah. And, and the stuff that, that I've never interacted with her. Um, they, they take very few questions. Uh, mm. but it really is as if, and they framed it as if you were going to one of her lectures in a lecture hall at university mm. and the amount of knowledge, I was so disappointed. I was driving, uh, and you can't record this stuff. I guess you could, um, mm. but I was driving and I couldn't take notes. There was just so <laughs> yeah, knowledge bombs being dropped. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I think, you know, a lot of the, there's a lot of misconceptions about like, I mean, there's some truth to, to like, you know, Harvard and there's a lot of misconceptions, but it's a very experimental place. Right. So like, she's not the typical business school professor that you'd think of, you know, and like, we're like literally in like 2014, we're like, we were literally talking about like me too stuff back then before, like yeah. it was really even coming out. It was actually, um, I, I don't think she continued on in my program because her, her lectures were so controversial. And it really upset and offended a lot of people. And I think one of the reasons why was because her research is very US centric. And I actually brought this up in one of the classes was, you know, if you're teaching a class where, you know, 170 countries and a variety of different cultures are represented and your research is very specific to the American diaspora and cultural heritage, 
there's a lot of things that just don't relate. Right. So it's like, and so I asked her the question, I go, well, how, how well does this, how well does your research translate beyond borders? Right. Because I think culturally there's, there's a difference, there's a difference in, 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 in societally, you know, for women or for people in work, like in places like Saudi Arabia or Indonesia or China, than there would be in the United States, you know, and she really didn't have an answer for that. So that's where we, where, 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 where things kind of bristle, but you know, very, very um, interesting and provocative in a delightful way. <laughs> She's the Mary Poppins of gender diversity. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you, and, and you, you bring up a good point, right? So this is a little bit behind the scenes because, you know, you actually know her and, 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 mm. and, and learned with her. Uh, she brought this up in the first class, right? Oh. That, um, someone at one of her associates, another PhD that, that helps manage the room is, is the question was very similar is yeah, it's, it's very U S centric, but you know, certain body languages that we accept in the U S oh, yeah. would yeah. be highly offensive yeah. for a woman to do in another part of the world. Yeah. And how does that translate? And, and, and when you do cross borders, you know, what is it country by country or region by region? and, her answer was, yes, I've done a great deal more research into this, and we'll mm. talk about it. Like, I think it's like episode four or five. Okay. That, yeah, I think I might I might get in on that one. Yeah. Maybe reconnect in some way. Yeah. But I think, you know, it's uh, uh, we at least like the topics in the news, right, that are kind of coming up. Not, not that we necessarily have to explore them, but it's like. It seems, again, like because of COVID and the way that the world is changing, there's a few things. Privacy is back in, in, in focus. Blockchain is now uh, back in fashion. And then, you know, with all the vaccinations that are happening, there's a real question around, you know, when everybody's vaccinated, like, are we going to go back to it the way it was pre-COVID or is it going to be completely different? And I've been really kind of, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but I, I'm, I, I haven't really come up with a hypothesis about it. But, it, you know, deep down in my mind, I think to myself that I think that, you know, it's, it's very cliche to say, but it's like really accelerated things. And I don't think people are looking back. I think people are going to adopt some of the things and probably not look back, you know, to, to pre-COVID. Like especially like, uh, what was it, uh, Spotify is going fully remote. Um, a few other companies are going fully remote, but like Spotify was the, the, the major one that was just like, listen, even though people are getting vaccinated, like, you know, we're starting to realize that, you know, there's a fundamentally different way we can do these things. And I was just wondering, like, you know, if, if you come across anything this week that kind of stood out to you in terms of like, you know, the key trends that are happening right now in the business world. Yeah, you know, so the, obviously the blockchain stuff. Um, so just for whoever's listening, uh, a little bit of context, uh, Colin brought me into the blockchain world way back when in 2013, 14, really, really early. And and we actually launched the first blockchain venture studio in Southeast Asia. Um, so we were deep in the space and then we extricated ourselves uh, what's interesting is, you know, old long lost friends, you know, people I went to high school with, you know, similar to what happened in 2018. Hey, mm. I heard you're in crypto. Should I buy, yeah. you know, yeah. 
You know, and it's it it it's I I, I say that and I laugh because it's just cringy. But then mm. again, I was talking with Harsh uh, Patel uh, last week and and asking him questions about DeFi and and some of these other altcoins. I did the same thing, right? So, you know, I kind of cringe when people that I haven't talked to in thirty years, you know, mm. hey, I'm gonna buy crypto. But then I go to Harsh and say, like, hey. Like, what are you saying? Because Harsh is like deep in the code and, you know, has a lot of insights on some of this stuff. So that's been one. Um, the, the, the work from home, the digital nomad, the, the, the future of work, these have been all very topical discussions that I'm having in Clubhouse, I'm having with customers, that I'm having with, with practitioners. Um, with, with essentially the same question is what's going to happen when we get vaccinated, and I'll give you a story, right? So I work with uh, an 80 person health tech company out of New York, <clears throat> help scale them from zero to 80 people. And in COVID, you know, everybody went remote and, you know, pre COVID, it was, you know, very much command and control come into the office. Um, and it was very difficult, right? So even the senior leadership team, you know, nobody lived very close to the office. Everybody lived, outside of really commutable distances. I mean, some of these guys were commuting two hours each way. Um, mm. but they love the company. They love the mission and, and were, were engaged with it. Now that COVID happened, everybody worked from home and has been working from home. You know, you, you really can't let, you know, put the genie back in the bottle and, yeah. you know, having some really candid conversations with some of the executive leaders is, yeah, the company's going to go hybrid and there's sometimes you have to be back in the office, but there's just, there's no way in hell they're going to, you know, do the commute again. It's just, it's. Yeah. In America, I think it's about the commute, right? Think about how much like money on clothes, <laughs> money on transportation, right? Like Fine. this like little thing has a lot of impacts, right? Cause like that's going to affect like gas prices at a very high level. Yeah, you know, but think about the time commitment, right? So, you know, you're doing 90 minutes each way, you know, yeah. three hours a day lost yeah. in productivity. You know, it's, you know, 15 hours a week, you know, what, a thousand hours a year yeah. that is dead time. And there's just the, the economics don't pan out in terms of productivity and productivity cost and employee burnout. And it just, there's so many other factors. I just, you know, there's going to be certain industries and certain companies that, that, you know, still need you in the office. Yeah. But like even customer service, right? Yeah. I think, you know, McKinsey did like their big report. Yeah. And they, they, they showed like, you know, which, you know, in terms of like which industries require in-person engagement in order to do the jobs and which ones don't need that high level of in-person engagement. And they show like across the spectrum of industries, like, you know, which, which industries are, are ripe for quote unquote disruption through automation because of remote work. And I think it's going to, it's actually going to displace a lot of people. And, and they were, they were talking in this document, I'm paraphrasing how about like how education and, and, and reskilling is going to, is going to be a really, really big deal over the course of the next few years. Right. Because if you're not like, I can imagine like, you know, I mean, the, the, the best example that I can think of is Snapchat when they started doing like, you know, when they started like trying to monetize, they had a, like a in-field sales team 
they didn't have programmatic advertising yet. And it was only when they shifted to programmatic advertising. So like that means self-serving people could come and they could post the ads that they want, you know, without having somebody to sell them on like long-term subscriptions that they actually started to grow. And again, like, you know, like they actually reported last week and like they had just like astounding growth again this year because they got such a good inventory of advertisements and they've used technology in order to like, you know, um, you know, automate that process. And I'm just curious to see like, you know, what services, skills, industries are going to be most, most impacted by these, these converging trends and, you know, how people are going to actually educate themselves to kind of, you know, maintain the, the quality of life that they had over the last, like, say, decade. I'm like, that's what I'm kind of most curious about. I don't have an answer for it, but I'm looking at it going like, hmm, you know, if we're staying what, what, what at home more. Think, what do you think is going to happen? I, you know, I mean, I listen to Scott Galloway quite a bit. Like, you know, he bangs on about, like, you know, how education is changing. And I think that's. Like, if I had a kid right now, like, I would not expect them to go and get a four-year university degree. I think it's ridiculous. So I think that's out the window. I think that's – education is going through going to go through a massive transformation. They're going to go have to go through um, delivering better outcomes with technology, opening up. They're going to have to, like – I imagine instead of Harvard having 2,000 uh, – you know, 2,000 to 6,000 entrants to their undergraduate program, in the next 10, 20 years, it'll be, like, something like 200,000 because that will be representational proportional um, to their prestige, but on a global level and use utilizing technology. So I think, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah. So I think like there's going to be a transformation with that because I don't think people are going to value the same kinds of education that they had in the past. If it's specifically linked to like, you know, their well being economically, that's just not going to happen. So I see that changing. Obviously, I see the nature, the 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 construct of the office changing. M- you know, moving more from a, a a local, a local hub to a regional hub, maybe even global hub for some companies, global hubs. And then I ask myself the question, like, you know, what are the skills and and how will people access them, you know, in the future, right? And I think that's. Uh, still open. I don't, I, I think there's a lot of things that people are paying attention to right now, like the headlines, like whether it's Bitcoin or privacy or whatever. And there's a lot of this other kind of, these a lot of other trends that are happening on the creep where it's like, they, it looks like it's happening slow and it's nothing's really happening there. And then all of a sudden one day it's just, it's, it's the, it's the dominant design, you know? So I'm, I'm curious, I'm looking in those areas, right? So for, so for, so for a lot of reasons, that's why I stay off of things like, clubhouse and I know <laughs> and, and social media because to me it's like that is very much like the herd and people like you know trying to get above the noise right and I go you know what are the new things that are misunderstood that are like like you know that are people are skeptical about and I, I mean it was the same way with like how you know when I when I started talking to you about blockchain like, if you think about it at that time, like that was the most like niche, bizarre, and people had the most skepticism, uh, like at that time, right? Like, it's not as mainstream as, as it is today, if it's, if you can even call it that. So I kind of, I like looking for those things, you know, I like looking for those things and, and kind of like, you know, looking beyond the headlines, you know, what are people missing? That's actually a really big deal. That's going to transform the world. 
So let, let, let's unpack this a little bit, right? So we, 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 you, you hit on a couple things, right? On, on the education side, yeah. Mm. Let me ask you this. So, you know, you went to Harvard. What is the true value, the, the true impact of your degree from Harvard? It's, it's the people, the brand, and the, and the experience, but you pay for it, right? Like they're not, like they're, they're not stupid there. <laughs> like they know exactly what they're selling. And, and, and right. so how does that then change if, you know, you open up the walls and it goes from, you know, I can't remember the numbers, but you know, you wind up having 200,000 virtual Harvard graduates. What does that well, actually mean? Well, so two things, I'll give you two examples. So I went, I actually went, you know, as a part of my, part of my undergraduate studies. And I remember this was in like 1990, 2000. I remember one of the professors said, they said, Within the next 40 years, there will be a black president of the United States. This was in 2000. Everybody in the class laughed. <laughs> yeah. I remember coming back home, saying that to my mom and her, and, and she laughed. But only in and retrospect. You, it was, since we're on audio, Colin's yeah. a black guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That might be that make a little context. So she laughed, right? And but there was something about like that was harrowing about what these guys were saying. They're like saying, like, listen, we 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 see. And we've graduated them. We've handpicked a whole bunch of these people and we've given them the network, the brand, and they're very capable people. That's going to happen. And fast forward to 2014, my program was a hybrid program. So people, like, it was a very experimental program. So part of it was digital, part of it was in class, and then part of it was remote, right? So they were experimenting with this stuff at that time. And so I remember Clay Christensen that come in and he was talking about our program. He was talking about what they were doing with these programs because they were deciding like, you know, what is, what is, what is Harvard going to be in 20 years from now? And how does the brand have to transform to be able to be relevant in an age of shifting technology and cultural norms? So like they have already been experimenting with this stuff. Don't let them fool you. <laughs> right. So I imagine that even like, you know, like some of the more elite schools are going to be, are going to transform. They're going to get experimental with, Hey, um, how do we use augmented reality? How do we use hybrid classrooms? How do we create more ex experiential um, uh, uh, environments and contexts for these students? And how do we broaden our, our, our base? so that we can stay relevant to a, a, a higher group of people. And if anybody can do it, it's those people because there's a lot of iconoclasts there, right? So I, I do foresee them staying ahead. I don't think they're gonna die out. It, it's, it's more of like the B tier and the C tier schools that are kind of like, um, you know, maintaining the status quo and not really transforming with the times, yeah? So I mean, definitely education is going to change. I think that's that's like that's like the, that's like the obvious thing to me. So what what I heard from you is is yes, you learned a lot, uh, mm. but also that at the end of the day, you're part of, of a very small group of people, and that network is immensely valuable if you chose to exploit that advantage in the marketplace. What happens? you know, when instead of, you know, 2000 people a year, whatever the number is, it goes to 50,000 people a year. That scarcity well, is, is no longer there. That, that I, I think it loses something. 
Well, I, mean, I think you, you bring up a great point, but I would like, I would say like, you know, like think of it in context, right? So like the question is, 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 are these elite schools in America, American schools or are they global schools? Well, they're global. I mean, if you look at the, the, the base, yeah. particularly how they attract foreign students that yeah. by the way, have to pay full tuition and no scholarships, I think. So if you if you took the top one thousand students from each country, that's a pretty big class, <laughs> right? And it's still extremely elite. You're only taking one thousand people of the top students from each country, yeah. maybe even even less than that, right? So I think like you know, there, if you if the context is a global, right, and you're not just a local or an American school, and there's like a global elite of uh, of 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 educators. I, I do foresee, and you know what might not it might not come from that type of an institution. To me, I think the 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 Harvard of the next twenty years is going to be Y Combinator. I think that's I think that's what kids want. I think it's an it is an education company. Like, don't let them fool you. Like, they are educators, but they're educating you in skills that are relevant to this world. And this world going forward. So, to me, the Harvard of uh, 2035 is Y Combinator. So, it, it's not education that is changing per se. It, it, it's how one chooses to learn and the options they have yeah. in front of them that allow them to learn. Yeah. Right. So, like, if you think of like, I mean, you know, the, the like, a, like a Y Combinator type model, right? Is it like, you know, they they're it's a global it's a global institution. Right. You can call it an institution now because they've graduated so many people. It's a network and it's an experience. Right. And, and now it's a brand. There's a, there's, there's a badge to it. As and well. there's a brand. Right. So to me, it fills those all those different those che those check boxes. Right. I go like, you know, people the same way, you know, people used to go, oh, if you go to, you know, Yale Law or Stanford Business or whatever, you're going to come out, you're not going to have a great job. People go, if you go to Y Combinator, you're going to get funded. Yeah. <laughs> right like literally right so it's like it be like that is a career track right and i go okay if i compare that career track to the other career tracks which one's more appealing right so i go i think schools are i think schools if they were to be smart they would they would take that type of approach there's a direct outcome like why accommodators goal is to bring people in that are capable to educate them in a certain process, to put them amongst this group of people that are also elite that can help each other, and then that can get them at the end of three months to a specific outcome, which is you got funded. So imagine that at scale. Like there's no university out there that goes, right, you come here, you're going to be amongst the, some, of, some of the smartest people and capable people in the world, and when you come out, you're guaranteed this. So, And, and not only that, we, you don't have to pay us. We pay you. <laughs> that, 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 that's great. But, you know, access and opportunity to get into Y Combinator. It's elite. It, it's exceptionally elite. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of it does stem down to, you know, who you are. But a lot of it is, is where did you go to school? What have you done? You know, are you a computer scientist? Are you an engineer? Are you a developer? You know, I'd argue. I'd argue though that they their their diversity practices are probably better than any other corporation or educate or educational institution in the United States. But but there there's a minimum requirement, right, to to be able to get in, to 
Y Combinator. And that's uh, that's typically, and again, we'll take gender and, and, and diversity. You have to know how to code or you're no, no, I, I push back on that one. Code. I push back on that one because there's a lot of people that have, I'm sure it's not like 50%, but uh, uh, people have gone through there that just have an idea and like don't know how to code. I wouldn't say it's a high propensity of them, right? That's okay. that's why I'm saying like the spectrum is pretty is pretty high. This pretty is pretty diverse. So what what what's the feeder program or the feeder school? You know, loosely using the word school, or or the feeder base to get into Y Combinator or something similar where where that is the future of learning. Well, that's a good question. I, I'm not so sure off offhand, right? I, I'm just like, you know, as a mental model, I go, I think that those types of, and it could be for, for like, that's very specific to our industry technology and venture capital. But I can imagine that, you know, that could be really, that could be, that could be spun out into a variety of different types of industries, you know, whether it's like, you know, the restaurant business or like uh, anything entrepreneurial to a certain degree where it's like, you know, where the outcome is like, you know, job creation and, and, and leadership. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know, like, that's, that's a good question. Is it like, you know, I know that, uh, you know, they do a lot of investments in terms of um, K through 12. Yeah. Like they do a lot of ed tech ed education, right? So when you look at like, we, you, you know, people look at that particular organization and they see it as like uh, an incubator and accelerator. But if you really look at it in terms of like, you know, what the actual process is and the outcomes, uh, to me, it's a school. It, 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 it is by far a school. Yeah. So, so I go like, yeah. So I say like, you know, I don't know, like, could that, could that same kind of model be applied to, to, to the gaming industry? It like should. It, yeah, it, like it, it should, because the, the like, for lack of a better word, right? I I call these places vocational schools. So, mm -hmm. in in U.S. nomenclature, when you graduated, you know, high school, and you didn't want to go to college or didn't have the opportunity to go to college, maybe you went to a vocational school to learn how to be a carpenter, a welder, uh, a, a chef, uh, yeah, you know, a, a lot of different things. And I think there's a a where the untapped opportunity is, is you know, again, lack of a better word, but the, the, the vocation of being an entrepreneur yeah. and bringing it up in, in that K to 12 environment and, yeah. and leading them down that path. And I know a lot of schools are starting to do this with, with coding programs and, yeah. and, and, and but I think it's super un, untapped. Like I imagine like you, like, you know, for, for music or like, if you want to be a chef or like, if you, you know, even in like, say like, you know, real estate management, I'm like, I think that like, you know, if, if industry and educators started really looking at it in a very, you know, American pragmatism <laughs> in the same way that incubators do, I think that would be probably a better way to go. And I think it'd be a lot of people, a lot more people would enjoy it because of that kind of flexibility. Yes. Like, you know, in the, in Y Commerce case, like, you know, you have an advantage if you can code and you can do those things, but it's not to say that they haven't had people that, that don't know how and that they match you up with people or like, you know, you come from a certain background or you come from a certain country. I think there's a lot of industries I could learn from, Hey, like what are the practical outcomes that we want? Not only just for that individual, but for our, you know, like our local community and for our country. Cause if there was like, 
like I imagine if Y Combinator, like a Y Combinator-esque institution had the endowment of Harvard, like how you have a, a thousand Elon Musks. Yeah. You know? And I go, I think, is, is that good for the country? I don't know. But like, it seems <laughs> like it, it could be helpful. So, but, but, so let, let's bring it back up, right? So if, if uh, I, I'm just playing this out, right? What, what the, the learning environment looks like 20 years from now, right now, you know, most organizations require when you go to, you know, if you're looking at a prof in a professional role, require a college degree, right? Yeah, most. Which is, which is ridiculous, right? So we got to go to the lowest common denominator and in, in how you get access to an opportunity within a corporation is you have to get through one, the, the screening bots, whether that's yeah. actual technology that's reading your resume or yeah. a recruiter or HR person, where it's far easier to, to, to check the no box on 100 candidates because they don't have a college degree versus actually extrapolating insights from reading a resume and understanding that in fact this person may actually be a really good part of of the company and so, that whole mindset has to change it's so funny because i follow this this vc investor on twitter i find him quite 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 charming actually and his name is mac the vc and this might give a little bit yeah, you might, they might, this might give a, a pretty good answer to, to what, you just, what you just said. He says in a tweet, he goes, just to be clear, we invest in black-led startups, women-led startups, founders who identify as LGBTQ+, rural-based startups, POC-led startups, and startups, ran, and, and startups ran by white men. Join the revolution of investing in everyone. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. What? Right? I just go, again, like it's like this you know, it's the paradigm of thinking, right? Where it's like, it's easier to sort and divide people when like, you know, you can check certain boxes, right? But like when you actually have to be comprehensive and use your brain and to like really, you know, understand individuals and understand the outcomes that you want, um, you know, will you be able to get like, you know, some more equanimity uh, you know, uh, amongst this access to opportunity that everybody's trying to 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 get to, like to me, there's no wonder why these these Fagma companies have a diversity issue. Is because they go, yeah, you got to go to Yale and you got to go to Stanford. We only want the elite of the elite, and their idea and concept, their model of what good is, is ridiculous. Yeah, right. And they're only now going. It's, it was funny because Brian Chesky was just like, they're opening up a headquarters. In Atlanta, the second Airbnb headquarters in Atlanta, and they've already set up a program with the University of Georgia. And and his his comment to a certain degree was, "Listen, that place is an amazing school, and they churn out amazing engineers. And yeah, they happen to be like people of color, or whatever. And if they're overlooked, it's their loss. I'm going over there because it's it's going to have an impact on my business, and they're going to be amazing, and it's a great place to live. But for all these years." Nobody thought, no major corporation thought to, hey, maybe like, you know, University of Georgia in Atlanta might be a good place to, to recruit people. Why, why is that? I, just, I don't know. I don't know. But to me, it's like, you know, so like, you know, to, to, to Matt's point, right, it's like, you know, he, like, he's not looking at them because like, 
you know, they've gone through this, you know, sieve of achievement. It's going, hey, on the merits, like, you know, what are you offering? And is this in line with the things that I'd like to achieve for my fund? And it doesn't matter where you come from. If you could, if you could do that, then like, hey, well, let's talk. And I don't think, I, I think like a lot of these corporations go like, they don't have, they don't, they don't invest that kind of time because they're, 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 they're too busy optimizing, optimizing for metrics that, you know, are, are measuring the wrong thing. And that, I, I, look, I, I always find it ironic, right? So customers, two things, customer service in organizations is one of the lowest paid jobs in an organization. And they're, they're, they're pushing out customer service to the lowest paid worker where the most valuable thing in your company is your customer. And likewise, you know, you're limiting your, your, your company's capacity to be an, a, a great company mm. by pushing it down to HR, which historically is a, a, a process driven organization that is not tied to actual operational and, and business strategy within an organization. And to me, that is so ass backwards. And so I love hearing about, you know, Mac, the a good point. Yeah. You bring up a re- like, so there's two areas that you just, you just discussed, which is I 100% agree with you. It's HR and customer service. And it's like, it's the people in your organization and then the people that support your organization. But for some reason, people are just like, yeah, let's put that in the corner. Like, I think we've always kind of talked about this. This is just, it's bizarre to me. Isn't it? It, it just, it, it doesn't like, I, I, I can't fathom where you, you I, to me, customer service should be one of the highest paid roles in the company. Yeah. Like literally. I guess they call that, you know, like, no, I won't, I won't, I won't use that term, but I guess, yeah. so, you know, the, like they, the, no, the, the concept of it, right. Is, I don't know, like how, like, you know, to me, like, I think of customer services as like, you know, like how well you're engaged with the people that support your business, not necessarily a sales thing, but like, I mean, you know me, I, I really love these communities. Like I'm a part of uh I love newsletters and communities. And so I'm a part of indie hackers. And to me, it's like, I mean, Stripe bought that company. And I, to me, I go like, that was a, that this guy as a community organizer, community manager, he's doing not like he's cultivating the customers of Stripe's future, encouraging them to build, encouraging them to, to develop certain skills, um, constantly engaging with them, giving them insights, right? So I don't know if they like they they term it customer success, but I think of it as more just like like it's just community. And I don't know if that's a good word for it either. But to me, I just go, hey, like you know, your next, you know, especially for companies like Stripe, yeah, like the the you know the the next large marketplace that comes up is probably going to come out of that community. Right. Or your next, you know, you know, you know, lead product manager is going to come out of that community because they came up with a really interesting revolutionary way of using your APIs. Right. So to me, it's just being connected to to the the people outside of the walls of the organization that see something in you and 
you know, you require them in order to be sustainable, right? So that is customer service. Is that is that customer service or like what is that? Kind of right. It 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 it's kind of an amalgamation of of customer service, sales, customer success, engagement. Uh, but the, you know, these are all principles that, you know, and I've met some very, very, just absolutely phenomenal, you know, people that are, are in customer service and, and, and they're being paid 10 times less than what yeah. they should be paid. Right. And I, I just, to me, I just find it ironic, but I want to bring up again, we're, we've been talking about about ed tech, the future of learning and, and the future of companies. And you bring up indie hackers, right? Mm-hmm. And you've spent that's far more learning training. environment. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. That, Sorry. Well, that, that's, that's the thing, right? So this is another learning community Yeah. that is, is sharing insights and, and expertise and, and it, it, just a great deal of engagement between the participants on learning about X, Y, and Z. Yeah, the other one that I love is uh, MakerPad. So like yeah. that's like a like a no code community, no code low code community, and like they've got some really really great stuff. Um, but yeah, indie hackers, I love these communities because one, um, when the when the the, the 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 lead of the community is good, uh, the culture of the community is very well defined. So it's like, it's uh, like, I'll make an example, right? You know, you could say that indie hackers is the next evolution of say Hacker News. But when you go to Hacker News, it is like going into a, like the firing line, <laughs> right? Like it is not a very a welcoming community. Whereas indie hackers, on the other hand, right? Whether you're old or young, super talented or not, everybody is there for the same reason: to learn and to pr- improve their economic condition and to make something really cool, right? And it's like you know. As an organization, right? Like I go, that was a smart move that Stripe went like this, and before it even really got off the ground, said, "Here you go. We want you to, we want to buy it." And you know they've got a lens where they can go. That could be within the within that community of thirty thousand people, is going to be the next eBay, right, or whatever, and they're going to be using Stripe. Yep. You know, so like I kind of look at it as like you know, you know, so like there's that aspect of human resources customer service, education, sales. And yeah, it gets encapsulated in this word community, but I just go like, again, those are those transformations, right? Where I go like, to me, those are, I mean, we did it with a, like we didn't, we didn't even know it. (laughs) We did so many things. We didn't know what we were doing. Why are all these people showing up to these events? (laughs) (laughs) Why are people signing up all over the world to hear us talk about this stuff? And like to go and hang out, like I don't get it, right? And it was like, you know, we were kind of ahead of the curve in that, like not knowingly, but it was just because we—that's just our philosophy, you know. And I think you know more and more companies, you know, are embracing that and they're seeing the value in it, you know. So, t- to your point, yeah, like, you know, maybe even like you know, the, the, when skills change, education change, you know, departments of organizations change as well too. And maybe we just need a whole new set of, of, uh, of, of determining what these roles are and, and, you know, what their titles are and what the impact is for the organization. I think we're going to see that. I mean, we went through a really weird stage where it's like, I'm the chief rock star guy. And like the, 
chief cheerleader and like all these weird titles. But I think there's gonna there's gonna we're gonna settle into some nomenclature that you know aptly describes very valuable functions to organizations. So in 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 that construct, you know, do these new organizations overtake existing organizational structures? That's a good question. I mean, like, you know, people, we, I mean, we've experimented with different organizational structures for a long time. Um, and a lot of people have been succeeding, like, you know, whether it's remote first or this hybrid approach, you know, community, every company being a media company, you know, I think this is just the natural evolution of organizations and there's competing, competing ideas. Um, but yes, I definitely think the nature of the organization you know, what kinds of people are being brought in, right? How it's organized in order to engage and to be relevant to the community, like how they're, how you're perceived as a, a citizen, you know, uh, uh, these things are all evolving and changing and they're, I don't think they will go, they will, I don't think they will revert back to the mean of, you know, kind of post, uh, post World War II industrial organization, top level down companies, right? Like those are old ideas. I think they're going to be more fluid, um, more dynamic, um, still have a structure, but uh, won't resemble these kind of pyramid structures that we've had in the past. I'm, I'm trying to remember back um, who wrote the, I guess it was back in the forties, kind of the seminal, research on the definition of work or the definition of a corporation, why a corporation exists. Do you remember? Oh, that, well, there's, there's a few people that, um, one of them, like, you know, uh, is cause. Yes. Formal cause. So yeah. it was a theory nature of the firm. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, and then his work was derived from a guy named Joseph Schumpeter who really put an emphasis on entrepreneurship and innovation. But if, yeah, if you go along that line, right, where it's like, you know, economies are really based on the health and the education and the entrepreneurial spirit of their, of their citizenry. So like, you know, we went through like the kind of megacorp era, but I think, you know, there'll be a lot of dispersion. Like there might be a lot more, I mean, there's already a lot of small businesses, but there'll be a lot more significant small businesses right, where, you know, income is more equitably distributed because, you know, certain pockets of people that provide different value are going to be able to congregate together. And they might not choose to be like in the, the apples and the IBMs of the world. I heard something kind of funny. Uh, somebody had posted something, a friend of mine, that they're going to a startup. You know, they're going to love the startup. <laughs> on the freaking Google. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. no, that's just another yeah. big, large corporation, massive corporation. That's not a startup. Um, you know, the vast majority of companies around the world are SMEs, and the vast majority of those are, 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 are less than 20 people. Yeah. And some of these people have lived pretty good lives. <laughs> you know? so, right? Like, I, mean, I had a friend who was, you know, ran a fashion business. I mean, like, you know, he was doing 10 million US dollars a year. Uh, in terms of turnover, but it was like maybe 12 people. So, I mean, he was doing pretty good, you know, yeah. like he's living a good life, you know. And I had another friend who had, he was doing about 25 million US dollars in turnover. He was doing a jewelry brand and he had about 30 people. So, I mean, like these guys were, I mean, he had a Lambo. 
So like, <laughs> well, that right. automatically qualifies him as, as as something. But yeah, you know, so like he got a Lambo, you know, and but that's and, Hong Kong. I'm assuming he was in Hong Kong. Yeah, he was in Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah. But he's self-made guy. You know, he was a you know self-made guy. So and then my other friend, you know, who did, who was in the fashion business was a he's a designer. You know, so and he, he built it up from nothing, like just him and his business partner. You know, over years, right? And uh, now he's a, he's the chief designer at North Face. So like, you know, he's he's you know, people can do all all right in these things. You know, so yeah. I don't know if it's like you know everybody, you know, we got it. We we all bought into this this kind of Hollywood narrative, this Hollywood Silicon Valley narrative of you got to raise a bajillion dollars to be significant. Oh my God! Just don't get me started. Uh, because gonna crash, you know what I mean? Like, how many? Like, on the flip side of it is like, how? I mean, we know companies, people raise a hundred, a hundred fifty, two hundred million, and in five, six years, they're just blown out. Well, I've seen them in even shorter time frames, and and the scary thing is, is these guys will raise money again. Yeah, that's I mean, what's so. That's what's so fucked up about it, right? is you know you raise a hundred million bucks blow it right maybe you had a great idea and whatever but like you just spend a hundred million bucks in in three years that's a lot of money <laughs> like that's a lot of money like like i'm like at one point i'm wondering where someone just checks the balance sheet and just goes oh, i don't know we should be spending all this money but that that's 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 hiring badges, right? So I, I look at these guys and they hire the badges, and in terms of people, and then oh, they, all the accomplishments that go along with with hey, I'm a big badass. I got to have this office and this trendy location, yeah. And, yeah. and all the other stuff. It, it, and it's yeah. all ego, right? It's just freaking ego driven. Um, I don't know. I'm on the, I haven't raised a hundred million bucks and blown it. So I <laughs> yeah. can't from experience. I want, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I want that job. You want, you want someone to blow a hundred million for you? Call me. <laughs> <laughs> what was that movie? Brewster's millions with Richard Brewster. Pryor and yeah. uh, Gene. Um, yeah, that's pretty yeah. cool. You know, so, uh, so, I mean, I think, you know, it's, things just are moving fast too. You know, so uh, I, I'm just I'm super excited, right? So I think this was a really cool conversation on on you know it started out as you know talking about education and really you know the future of education, really yep. distilling it down is is really what is the future of learning and yeah. how to take that learning and design and create net new things that allow people to be successful, uh, whether it's we didn't really talk about it, but you know, whether it's a food cart, a fashion business, yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever. like to me, that is, is so much more valuable than kind of these old archaic notions that you have to go to university, which is very much right. So as, as an American, I never graduated college mm. and, you know, uh, two of my three kids well, uh, have graduated another one still in school and it's really more. And again, as a parent, like there's where you like yes you did so, <laughs> yeah and and yeah. you know what it, it 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 was valuable in the sense of of it, it structure and discipline and and, yeah. and tackling 
difficult problems, a great deal of fear. Uh, you yeah. know, my, my son, wasn't, you know, my son wasn't a, a, a great student in high school. You know, he didn't really apply himself and, and really got really disciplined and, and made it through. Right. Yeah. You know, my other daughter was, was, you know, the exact opposite, super disciplined and, and, you know, went through kind of basically in her sleep. And my third one, you know, is, you know, pushing her way through. Right. Mm. And that, but it's really more of like, you have to have a college degree to be successful. And I'm part of that. I'm part of that. Right. Is yeah. I know, like, if you wanted to get a regular job, you have to have that degree. Otherwise you're not going to get in the door. Yeah. So there's a, yeah. There's you a know, lot more like, for us to talk about on this. Yeah, you know, there's there's some equalizers in there, but like, yeah, I, I can I can imagine what that pressure is too as a parent, right? Like, you know, you want the best for your kids, and like, this is this is a this is a tried and true track. Right? My mom always says, you know, Colin, you have to take the scenic route. You always have to take the scenic route. That's what my mom says. You always have to take the scenic route. And I'm like, yeah, because. You know what fun is there? <laughs> but like you know, the 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 straight and narrow line is pretty is pretty good too. Harvard's hard. I like. Why do I have to do hard all the time? Yeah. You know. So I don't know. But like, I mean, getting like you know, we can go full circle, right? You know, because my background in sports too is just like there's also something about you know there's like I, I never did skating because I wanted to be a famous skater i did it because I was like, give, give us some context on on your background in sports colin yeah so i mean i like as any canadian you gotta you, you play hockey and i didn't know how to skate so my mom because she watched a lot of figure skating was like you know there's a really deep history of figure skating in, in canada like if you want to learn how to skate colin she takes some extra lessons and learn how to figure skate i ended up being pretty good at it and so i won a couple of national championships and uh you know was uh, part of the canadian national team for for almost a decade and uh, it was more about just, it was more of a personal thing. It was more like, can I do it? It's a, it was a personal challenge, right? Whether it was like, you know, to do a new trick or to beat a certain person, it was just like, can I do it? Can I challenge myself to achieve something? And it was never about like, hey, I want to make X amount of dollars. It was just, can I be really, really good at something? Right. So like, you know, whether it's like, you know, business or, or technology or design or, or, or speaking or making something, I, I just kind of look at it and go, who's the best? I want to be like that. I'm going to beat you. <laughs> and, and so let, let's unpack that. Right. So, you know, having the chance, we started the, the, the conversation an hour ago, what, you know, where I had this question to Greg Luganis and I'll ask you the same question. And, you know, obviously we've been working together for years and years and years. And I know that you're, you're have a very high degree of self-awareness. Mm. Did that, was that innate and, and part of kind of who you were early on, or did you develop that or have that developed because you had access to, you know, uh, coaching and staff that, that pushed you in that direction? No. Oh, that's a, yeah. I can see how that's a challenging question. Uh, I wouldn't say that I was self-aware. I would say that I, I had talent. And so what that means is like, I didn't know where it came from. It's just someone asked me to do something and I could do it. And so then people started looking at me differently. And yeah, people, they thought you were a jerk because you could do it and I can't. <laughs> and they, they, that's part of it. That's part of it, right? And then so you attract other people 
in your life that want to nurture that in you. And so for me, the people, I was very privileged because now looking back at it, like, and I was thinking about this the other day, it's like everybody that I, my coaches in, in ice skating are all Hall of Fame, world-class historical figures in the sport. And they weren't at the time, right? It's just you were attracted to certain people and you ended up kind of working with them and learning from them and, and other people did the same. And like, you know, everybody kind of, you know, uh, you know, all tides, you know, the tides ride, rise all boats. Yeah. Um, so you tend to attract those types of people and then they nurture these things and then they nurture a certain kind of mentality in you. It's because you have this talent. They don't, they make sure that you don't take it for granted and then they nurture you in a certain way. And then that cultivates a certain kind of mentality, right? Where it's like, you know, I, I like where I ended up in skating, like, you know, there's a very storied and famous place. It's called ice castles. It's in San Bernardino. But at the time in the 90s, it was the, only the world's top skaters skated at that rink. And I mean like Olympic, world champions, national champions. And there was these sessions that you would skate, like, you know, you do a 45-minute session. And if you were not a national champion, not like a silver medalist, like if you weren't a national champion, you weren't allowed on the ice. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you're a silver medalist, you're like the first loser? Yeah. They were just like, oh, sorry, this this is the they called it the elite session. They go, <laughs> they go, this is the elite session. Um, have you won a national championship? And if you were like, no, then they're like, sorry, you can't come on because yeah. it was too late. Go so go like, to free skate at six o'clock. Yeah. So like and like as a national champion, you are on the lowest rung. Like that was the bare minimum. Because then there was the national champions, and then there was the world medalists, and then there was like the world champions, and then there was the Olympic medalists that were all in the same session. Like that's how many people were there, right? So like you got to imagine, like you get to the point where you're like, you know, 14, 15, 16, you're a national champion, but you're the shit. <laughs> you're the crap guy, <laughs> right? You're the one that they're making fun of, right? So like so, I'm, I'm curious, how did that make you feel? back then right so well, some people yeah. would kind of cave others yeah. how did you feel about that well i mean i was like you know my mentality was just like yeah i was very competitive right so like imagine like you come to the rank and like you're amongst a group of like say 20 30 people and every one of you wants to be the olympic champion like there could only be one right so like and you're there every day going like, mm, you could do that i'm gonna do this you could do that i could do this watch me do this and it was like that for years, right? And so you cultivate a certain mentality where it's like, hey, like you get focused on a goal and then you just will yourself towards it. Yes, there's a level of enjoyment, right? But I think it becomes from like, you're good at something, you're amongst a certain group of people, you get recognition for it, so you continue on. And like, you know, you just, you try to challenge yourself to see how much better you can get, right? So you do, you definitely have to have talent at it. So like, was it like natural? Yeah, it was. But like, it's not like my mom, you know, coming from the Caribbean as an immigrant to Canada goes, hmm, my son's going to be a national champion figure skater. <laughs> like that was the furthest thing from her imagination. You know, so it's like when those things started happening, she's just like, what is going on? Right. And, Even and, for and me, you have a, you, you, the family has a history yeah. of going to the Olympics. Yeah. But like most of my, my family, they, I mean, like, you know, they, they went track and field. Right. So like, yeah, like, you know, so you're kind of cult like, so like, you know, for us and our family, it was more like sports and education. 
sports education and God. <laughs> right you know you did those things and like that's kind of like what it was right so like you know to answer your question it wasn't self-awareness it was just one day in front of the next step by step and then it was an internal motivation where it's like it didn't matter what i did it didn't matter what the apparatus was my mentality was hey how good can i get at this and can i be the best at something and whatever that was that was just you know what i wanted to do and like, I just continued with that, you know? So, uh, I think, you know, at the end, right. Like of skating, it's like, I never achieved like some of the great, like I was never a world champion or an Olympic medalist or something like that, but I got to a certain level where I was just like, eh, it's, it's more of the same, you know, like, you know, I could go on and do all that stuff. Right. But it's like, I don't need, I didn't need, I didn't need the motivation anymore. Like those things weren't motivating to me anymore. Like I wasn't going to feel any more accomplished if I won the, the world championship or the Olympic gold medal, like it wasn't motivating any, anymore to me. So I guess like in the tech world, right, they call that like, you know, you, you, you're not enthusiastic or passionate about solving the problem. You know, for me, I wasn't passionate about achieving that goal because I had done everything like I exceeded my expectations. I was like, you know, I got pretty good at this. There isn't anybody that could have said that I wasn't very good at it. You know, so to me, like leaving all that was, hey, what's the next challenge? What, what's something that can make me go, hey, yeah, I'm motivated for that. I really want to be good at that, you know, and that's kind of like, you know, I think that's how, like, you know, we get into like, you know, what we're doing and what we arrive at with, you know, how we work together. It's like, Hey, you know, can we be really good at this? And by being good at this, can we impact other people? Interesting. So in that, um, I had a question and it went away. Yeah, that happens, right? Well, it happens more and more for me because I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so I think – go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, sorry. So so when you think about this experience at, at, in, in, in sports and the, the, the mental and physical challenges of, of, of being ultra successful, how has that then changed or impacted, you know, you as a businessman – as an entrepreneur in, in striving for similar type of success yeah. in this world versus the sports world. And is there, is it the same? Is it same, same, or is it different? It's very similar. And it really hit home. Like last week, I remember I was telling you about that company called DraftBit, who makes this really great um, visual code editor or a pro code tool. And I told them the story about like, you know, what we had gone through with some of our prototypes and stuff like that how we used a variety of different tools. We were learning, we were developing, we were making these things. They didn't suit our needs and they exploded. And he had said to me, which is like only, you know, you know, uh, reflected on it just recently. He said, he goes, Colin, usually when people hit that wall with a certain no code tool, they just stop, they quit, they give up. And I was like, whoa, he goes, so good on you that you guys kept on going and you guys tried to level up and you found us because they're a small company, 12 people. And he goes, you get it, Colin, you get it. And I go, yeah, I get it because I want world-class. I don't want a hobby shop. Yeah. Right. And I go, there's gotta be somebody out there that understands that there's people like me out there and their only limitation is they didn't get a four year degree in computer science. 
And you've now empowered these people to be able to create these technologies, these applications, these experiences that used to be only the privy of people that went to Stanford and got venture capital funding. And he goes, Colin, we need to even find more people like you, you know, like that will, that will look at that challenge and use our tool to, to be able to overcome it. Right. So yes, I do look at like, you know, you know, any endeavor that we, like, you know, as a group of people or myself individually is, you know, um, how can I improve? How can I get better? How can I impact other people? All right. So in skating, it used to be, how can I get better so I could put on a better show? Because when you put on a better show, people clap and you but make that, them happy. That's the same thing in this environment, right? Yeah. It's no different. It's no different. So like, I go like, you know, for us, I go like, hey, if I take all my experiences, all my knowledge and I put it into something and it can impact your business and your business can improve and your business can grow, right? Then that's the kind of thing that, you know, is energizing to me. Right? So, so it's ne next, next time we go on a, an, an investor call or something that you need to put your sequins back on and do a triple double. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <Show the> moves. <laughs> hey, so are, are you going to do a, uh, are you going to do a podcast with, uh, with draft bits? Yeah, I think I'm going to, I'm lining up some, uh, some, uh, of the, the a, a very long list of these people that I've, uh, come across over the last say eight months that have helped me on this journey. And like they're, they are, it's the future of design. Like, I don't think they even realize it. Right? It's literally the future of design because they've solved a problem that people have just become so complacent with. And, and it's funny when they, these, you talk to these guys is they get a lot of backlash and it's mostly from software engineers. Of course. And I find that bizarre. I'm like, Whoa, but you guys are our software engineers because yeah, that's what we try to explain to them. You know, so I'm, I'm in this one tool today. It's just, I literally texted him today in Slack and I said, please, 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 whatever you do, do not sell your company to XYZ website builder. Yeah. Right. Because I go, if you do like, like my life is over, <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm going to see what he comes back with, but you know, that company is two PhDs in computer science that are making this amazing tool to empower other people to create just modern products, modern services, right? And they've abstracted things away that just empower people. And I go, you know, this is what the Mac did. This is what Adobe did. This is what CorelDRAW did, right? This is what Unity did, is it opened up, you know, uh, the ability for people to be more creative and to create businesses. I go, those are very, very, very powerful things. And so when software engineers go and they get upset, you know, they go, are you trying to replace engineers? And they're like, no, 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 we're not. We're just trying to make it less archaic, less exclusive, right? So yeah, I'm definitely gonna have some of these guys on. Uh, 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 I'm just uh, putting it all together. Yeah, hey, are you good for time for a little bit more? So you, you, you brought something up and it, it again ties back to, you know, overall the part of the conversation, right? So the future of learning and future learning yes. as an entrepreneur yeah. and, and having access to these tools that are, are, are being built. I literally thought that today. I was like, they're going to be using this tool for high school kids in five years. So unpack that a little bit. Let, 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 let's go there. Right. So, and mm. this, 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 
the 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 intersection, the tension between these no code, you know, I just lose it you broadly, you know, no code, low code platforms, which to mm. me I think are brilliant because it does unleash the power of an entrepreneur who has an idea that yeah. can at least get something off the ground versus yeah. this very, very dated design and development process that most organizations use, which is here's the idea, flesh it out, give it to a business analyst, business analyst, here's the spec requirement, yeah. give it to the engineers and and engineers built in. We have all these different, you know, agile and scrum and and different processes. So it's it it's it's no longer waterfall, thank God. Mm. And then there's still a lot of iteration and, and back and forth. But to me, that just seems super, super archaic and old way of thinking. And how do you actually build a product or a service or an idea, convert an idea to something tangible? Yeah. And I think, you know, what these guys, like, I mean, people have tempted to do that over the years, right? There's companies out there that, that do those types of tools, but they almost, it's almost like they make a mockery. <laughs> Out of like they go, yeah, we're gonna make it like kind of what it's like to build something, but not really, you know. So you'll get the idea and like the feel of it, but it's not gonna work on the same level of something that's commercial. Whereas the things that are coming out now, these guys are creating simpler ways of achieving technological outcomes or technologically enhanced outcomes in terms of digital products. And I just go, you know if these tools are learned in the same way, like, you know, you know, I remember when Photoshop came out, like that was really complicated, but it was a really great productivity tool for photographers and for agencies. I go like the, that level of abstraction, but that level of abstraction for like, you know, the basic beginner and the power tools for the actual professional professional are coming into these tools now where anybody can literally go out there and they can make Twitter by themselves. They can make Facebook. I, I think themselves. making making Twitter and Facebook, that's in, in every coding academy, like yeah. every resume I've ever seen. Hey, I yeah. built it. Like, I, I don't think that's a to do list. <laughs> yeah. A Twitter clone. But well, there's a lot of, like, there is a lot of complications in those types of applications, right? You know, so you have to know a lot of a variety of different skills and um, techniques across different types of platforms, different types of libraries and frameworks, whether it's HTML, CSS, JavaScript you know, um, no SQL databases, right? So there's a lot of things that are going on, but like now these tools are coming out where it's like, hey, somebody literally in high school could go like this and they can learn it. And by the time they get to be 17, like they're build, they, they, they are really building something. Yeah. Right? And I go that, again, like going into this, you know, in, in five, 10 years, I don't think that will be, uh, you know, Y Combinator won't be like, it won't be like, oh, if you're not a technical person, Everybody that comes through is going to have some some level of skill to be able to 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 be able to tell their story through a product. Tell their story through a product. What does that mean? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I I I've heard it come up a little bit lately, but like you know, my background is in film, you know, and I go really like, you know, when I look at products or whenever I'm designing a product, right, I'm always thinking about what is the story I'm trying to tell, and not like in a fictitious way, but it's like, you know, you know, what is this thing going to solve for you? Who are the people behind it? Um, why is this in existence? Why should you use it? Right? How do you make the experience enjoyable? 
right? So like when I'm using this tool plasmic, yeah, you know, the, the feeling I get, they don't really tell the, I'm going to talk to them about it. They don't really tell the story yet, but this is a tool. It's a creativity and design tool, right? And it's about, it's about someone going and being able to create, to bring something into the world that never existed before, who maybe never had the capability to do that, right? When I use it, that's what I feel, right? But there's a disconnect between, you know, how I feel as a user and what he's telling me it does, right? So I go like, you know, the, the, the closer people can get to really the humanity behind their products, right? And telling that story. Right. And having the empathy um, um, to not only the empathy, but the, the strength to be able to tell that story and the empathy to understand the user. Um, are we going to be able to come up with really great or better products? Right. Products that like you're actually are, are good for people. Right. Like, you know, you look at some of the so things that are going on in social media and like, you know, they get really big and they're optimized for engagement. But there's a lot of downside effects with that. The downside effects of being wildly successful. Whereas like some of these productivity tools that I see, like, you know, do they have downside effects? Probably. But like for the most part on the whole, right, I just go like you're learning, you're learning something. It just by using the tool in and of itself is an education. It like you were saying, like the uh, neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. When you were talking about that earlier today, I'm like, you know, Zach, like the last two weeks, I've literally experienced that. Like I see the world differently now. Because some of the things that I've been trying to do and some of the tools that I've been using, and it's been for the better, right? It's like a paradigm shift in thinking because you go, hey, wait a second. I have not been, I've never, I've not used that part of my brain before, right? And so that to me is like, you know, some of the more exciting things that happen by, you know, when I say it, because like the future of design is that, you know, these things are going to, it's, it's in a selfish way. I'm very in a selfish way. I'm scared. I'm just like, oh, damn it. Now everybody's going to be able to do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, that goes back into like this, this tension between, you know, engineers, right. Yeah. You know, and, and you and I have worked with engineers and developers for forever. And there's yeah. always a, a high degree. Well, the good ones have high degree of pride and, and craftsmanship, right? So yeah. some engineers and developers are really truly craftsmen yeah. in, in, in their work. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think those people are going to be replaced because they're, they're craftsmen. They're curious. Yeah. They're, they're going to yes. take all the different elements and, and things available to them uh, to, to even elevate their game even further. That's just exactly. kind of how they're coded their DNA. It's everybody I, else, right? It's, I 100% uh, agree with you. Yeah. 100% agree with you. It's, it's the crappy ones that are, that are afraid. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, you know, to me, the, the, anytime you can open something up to a broader audience yeah. that, that changes the way, um, things are built and ultimately brought to market. I, it's so, so powerful. And it's, it's, it, it it's powerful here in the U S but I, I, I immediately think to, um, uh, frontier economies and, mm. and, and non first world, I'm not, I'm not using the right words, but, uh, sure. you know, in, in developing markets yeah. and the access and, and the opportunity for people that have an internet connection and, yeah. and some basic tools, 
how does this change the the trajectory of their life? And then, you know, how does it change the trajectory of that city of that country and and elevating entire economies out of poverty? I mean, that's where my mind goes immediately. Yeah. Like, you know, so like, I just go, those are like, so I just, I really love those types of, you know, those types of uh, products that like, it's a tool, there's a community, there's people, you know, to your point, right? Like, you know, these guys, they're doing customer service, like right there in Slack. Like he'll do a, if you don't know how to do something, he'll like do a video or something like that for you. I'm like, this guy's a, he's a, he's a, like a professor. And like what he's making is no joke, but like, there's this whole thing around it where it's like, you're learning you're accomplishing something, you're creating something to the world, you're amongst other people, you know, so it's a really powerful thing. And I go to your point, right? I just go, there's a Mozart in like Zambia somewhere. Yeah. And like, you know, they're going to get access to the internet and he's going to do something that's like, you know, that's going to, and it doesn't necessarily have to be like in IT, right? But like I go, there's more and more of these types of tools across different industries that are helping people to be able to create, to build and to change. You know, and I go, I get so excited about that. So I, I love talking to those, those guys because I, you know, this is, this is how you're making me feel. And this is how you're helping me achieve my goals and my dreams through like something you just made on the internet. Oh my God. That just, that, that, that right there, like, and I wish more people would, would be in, in tune and self-aware, like what you just said, this is how I feel. This is how it makes me feel yeah. when I use your product. And you know, those in the design world and, and, you know, they're not necessarily coding these things, you know, it, it's a familiar path. Yeah. But I think that should be with everybody. Like, how does it actually make you feel like, hello? Yeah, nobody, yeah, nobody really asked that question. It's funny. And Bill Maher had a whole sketch about like NPS scores, <laughs> about uh -oh. how everything has to get a rating. Right, everything has to get a rating. How do I have like what? What was my experience with the my drapes? All this kind of stuff. It was a very, very good bit, right? But like, yeah, people, you know, they we don't really don't ask those questions, right? Is how does this product make you feel, right? Like, is it like something that you? They do it in NPS to a certain degree, but I was just like, I'm like, when I look at like it's like I, I mean, I guess maybe that's why I seek them out. I, whether it's a draft bit, there's another company um, from India. It's a female-led company, um, design-led company. It's called Canonic, and it's like she kind of abstracts the back end out of an entire system, but makes it visually just stunning to to use. So it's like it feels like you're writing an opera, but you're like doing a database, <laughs> <laughs> right? So it's amazing. So it's like, I just go like, those are really cool things because it's like, you know, they just go, Hey, like I can bring something into the world. That's of a benefit, you know, because I've got these things. Right. And like, you know, since the beginning of time, like, you know, man wanted to make a hammer, you know, so he can like, you know, build a house, you know, and it's like, it's just, they've gotten more sophisticated, but I'd, so I look at them that way. And I just go with these guys, I go, I would love to have a talk with you guys and tell you about these things, but it's like very empowering because I can make the things that, that, I, that I want to do. Awesome. Hey, let's wrap it up. Uh, yeah. Everybody that's listening, when we distribute the podcast uh, on YouTube and our other podcast platforms, you can find it on YouTube, but we'll include links to the companies that we mentioned uh, just so you have that as a reference point. Anything else to uh, close up with Colin? No, I guess uh, we'll, 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 we'll see everybody next time. <laughs> awesome. Hey, have All a right. good night. Cheers.
We are going remote by Intrepid. Future of work, entrepreneurship, startups, founders, innovation, and technology. 